Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Really had a great hour with Dr. Chris Bruno. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming in and giving us a big overview of Scripture. It's always great to know, um, always great to be refreshed. Always good to go back into the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a great place to start. And he saw it was good. And now what have we done? We've messed things up. And marriage is one of the things that's been seriously messed up. Uh, and we're going to talk today to Tom Pritchard. He's got a new marriage initiative called Forever Adventure. We're going to try to figure out how, why marriage is so important and, and how God views marriage in light of what's going on in the world. And uh, then um, Pastor Sean Winters will be joining us. Uh, Pastor Brent Coolman needs to step out of the show today, but we will cover the base in his place. We'll have him on tomorrow. So that's all ahead. We'll take 60 seconds to bring on Tom. Masks everywhere. Some are cute, some are creepy, and some are confusing. Was that Daddy? Was someone dressed up like Daddy? It's easy to not let anyone else see who you really are. You can even try that with God. But as you listen to Faith Radio, we hope you can remove the mask and come to Him just as you are. And the good news is, there's no trick involved. He loves you no matter what. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Faith Radio is there to help you hold on to hope. It's like the brightest sunrise Waiting on the other side On the darkest night Don't ever lose hope Hold on and believe Maybe you just haven't seen it Just haven't seen it yet You're closer than you think you are Pressing on with you Faith Radio Maybe you just haven't seen it Just haven't seen it Awfully nice to have Tom Pritchard in my studio. You may know Tom. He used to be the president of Minnesota Family Council way back when. Did that for many, many years. And now he's got a new adventure called Forever Adventure, which is a marriage initiative. And we're going to talk today about uh, why marriage is so important and and how God views marriage. Tom, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Yeah. So we've messed things up in the marriage department, uh, haven't we? Well, that and a few other areas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not just marriage, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. So let's talk about why why marriage is just so important. Well, I think you you have to go back to Genesis one. Um, yeah, well, you're just doing that, so you, yeah, it, it's good. Yeah, it's stay a good on a segue. roll. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, Genesis one twenty six to twenty eight, it talks about man and woman being made in the image of God. It talks about man and woman being fruitful, multiply, subduing, and having dominion over the earth, and kind of that creation mandate um, that God gave to Adam and Eve. And in terms of not only having children, but also uh, transforming the world. And um, so I think that's pretty fundamental. And I think we see 
continuing that uh, marriage is really and family are foundational to the well-being of not only society but the church. And mm-hmm. The church, I don't think, can really be healthy and fulfill its mission as it needs to without healthy marriages and families. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to say more about that because with church in, uh, enrollment or church attendance de- declining in many churches across the country, it has probably a lot to do with the strength of the families, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it really does. And uh, <clears throat> I think as I've, I've noticed as I've studied this and gotten into it even more over the last few years, I just see that it is so foundational that it's like a cell in a body. If the cells aren't healthy, the body won't be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening. And I think the church or churches need to reprioritize in terms of um, giving a greater priority. Uh, I know a, a survey focused on the family did a few years ago found that uh, only about less than 30, uh, around 30% of churches had organized marriage efforts to strengthen marriage. And I think there's an assumption that marriages and families will do well. But as the culture becomes more hostile, as people come into marriage or from dysfunctional backgrounds, or I think we're all dysfunctional, I guess, to some degree, but from really difficult, broken homes, they bring that with them. And so I think marriages and families are really having struggles. Mm -hmm. We can't assume that things will work out well. And don't people show up to church putting on their best game face? Making oh, the family yeah. and the marriage look great. Yeah, oh, I, I definitely think so. And I, I think that's what, there's kind of a conspiracy of silence, I think. Um, one pastor I, I know said that all marriages str- have struggles, healthy people deal with their struggles. And I think that's a good way to look at it, however long you've been married. Um, but I think we do. I, I think we don't, we, we want to look together, put together, as opposed to the fact that we are all broken people mm-hmm. and God's putting us back together. But it would be helpful, I think, uh, if we had uh, more of an explicit understanding of that mm-hmm. in churches. Tom, how do we, uh, as uh, evangelicals, uh, born-again followers, how, how are we viewing marriage today? I don't think that's changed from Genesis 1, has it? No, but I I, th- I think we may have a little bit of an incomplete view. Um, I think I started looking at a lot of the resources out there, and the the focus is uh, almost kind of self-fulfillment, uh, being happy as an individual. That's how we kind of approach marriage, that this is going to make me happy. This is going to, it's kind of focused on me. And I, I think there's a, a, something missing. And I, I think it's important, especially for young people today, that they have a bigger vision for marriage, that it's not, uh, the the brand of marriage has really been devalued. I mean, it's been redefined and, People just don't want to get married. It's almost a bad word in some respects. Mm. And I think we have to give younger people uh, or all people a bigger vision for marriage that God has called you to marriage. He may call you to be single or he may call you to be married. But if he's called you to be married, that he has a plan and a purpose for your marriage that goes far beyond just you, that there's an uh, internal uh, perspective on marriage that we become one with a person. But it's for the purpose of serving God and uh, advancing his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Of course, personal fulfillment in the context of marriage is not a bad thing, right? No. Um, you're not saying that there's something much bigger than that, although there is. <laughs> yeah. But that's a part of it is personal enjoyment and fulfillment. And... Yeah, I think so. And um, it's, it's in some respects a byproduct. And uh, that obviously, Sarah, and you want to grow together as one and and you will be, I think, happier and so forth and so on. But that's not the end game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly there's a transition from 
how people were courting 50 years ago versus what they're doing today. I mean, cohabitation is definitely on the increase. And there are many people in the church that see that as something that's kind of normal now. Uh, it's really the new norm, new normal. Um, I've seen studies saying that 70 to 80% of people will cohabitate now. It's it's just kind of expected. It's kind of like when you go to buy a, a used car, you got to test it out. Well, I think people have taken the same attitude towards marriage in some respects, but it doesn't work that way. In fact, it's going to make things worse because, in a sense, you're bonding with this other person sexually, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually even, and then you break that apart. And and the problem is a lot of people go into co- they they go into cohabitation oftentimes one foot in, one foot out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, this may not work out. I'm going to test it out. But that's really not the way God designed marriage yeah, to work. Especially if they're being sexual and living outside of God's design for marriage yeah. and for and for sexual purity, they're in big trouble. Yeah, the relation. I mean, the studies show just from a science standpoint that, or a social standpoint that they're not as healthy relationships, and people are much more likely to get divorced when they do get married um, because they haven't approached it. Uh, you know, like you say, like God's designed it to be. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the challenges that couples are facing today. You must have a list of several. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a couple major ones. I, I mentioned the one I, um, that people coming from maybe broken homes or dysfunction, greater dysfunction in their personal life, when they come into marriage, they bring those issues with mm-hmm. them. And if you're on your own trying to figure it out, it's going to be pretty difficult. And that's different than, I think, past generations where, you know, they... As we've said, nobody's perfect. Every marriage has struggles, but I think the struggles people are bringing in now are much more deeper. But also, you don't have the supports in society. Um, as we've moved towards more of a post-Christian culture, if you look at the media, television, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's really, you know, presenting a, you know, a unrealistic, harmful pr- pic- picture oftentimes of. Uh, relationships, marriage. I mean, you look at some of the TV sitcoms and dysfunctional families are kind of the norm. And uh, so you, you, it's, if you want to go with the culture, it's going to take you the wrong direction. So mm-hmm. you've got to go against the, the flow. And so that's why I think it's important that couples understand that they need to be doing marriage in community. They need to be doing it with other couples in their church, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I think that's increasingly true for all of us as Christians. We can't kind of lone rangers, either as individuals or as couples. Yeah, Tom, is it helpful um, for couples to be uh, around other couples of various ages and and length of marriages? I mean, it's not, it's important for couples to be around couples who have been married for 45 years. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. Increasingly, I think there's kind of, they've always talked about the generation gap, and I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of growing. and, And I don't think we probably do as good a job as we should in terms of integrating and, and, you know, ex- allowing the wisdom from past generations to be passed on. But so, yeah, I think that's clearly important. Mm-hmm. And I think, but obviously I think younger couples will have more things in common. And so clearly they need to be together and, and t- because they're wrestling with early childhood issues and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So they, that's important, but obviously you've got to get input and feedback from other couples who have been there before you. Mm-hmm. I want to take a little break, but when I come back, Tom, I want to hear about uh, Forever Adventure, and I'm, I'm betting I'm betting $1 that you'll tell me about it. Yeah, I think I will. Okay, good. 
Tom Pritchard's my guest. Uh, we'll take 90 seconds and be right back. Tom Pritchard's in my studio, having a nice uh, chance to catch up with Tom. I've known him for a long time. Former president of Minnesota Family Council. He started a ministry called Forever Adventure because marriage is so important in the way God views marriage and how we are viewing marriage today and what we need to do. I think the church is the solution theologically and practically, huh, Tom? Yes, it's the foundation. In fact, uh if you look at some of the the reform thinkers, uh, reformational period, they talked about it, the church being the uh, the the family being the domestic church, and that that is really kind of the cell, of, the foundation of the church. Um, so let's talk about your your brainchild of forever adventure. Yes, um, I, what what kind of the genesis of that was when I was working back at the family council and we had attempted to pass a marriage amendment defining marriage as one man, one woman. And that was defeated. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is, I thought this was kind of a no brainer, but I guess not. And I asked why, at least to myself. And I said, well, we've, we've lost the culture on marriage. And the problem is politics is downstream from culture. So what's already going on in the culture manifests itself in the, the political realm. And so we couldn't defend or protect marriage based on being a man and woman. And I said, what do you do to change that? Well, we got to go into the culture. And then I asked the question, how do you change a culture? And I said, you know, fundamentally the church has always been the engine for spiritual and cultural change. And, and then I started looking at churches and by and large, a lot of many churches don't do a lot on marriage. They may do some premarital education, but they're oftentimes silent from then on um, until the couple comes in. The studies show that couples wait five to six years before they get help, and usually by then it's too late. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started looking at, okay, what can be done to uh, strengthen marriages and churches? And I, I, I c- concluded that really what we need to do is in, invigorate the, the lay laity. The, I, I think pastors are number of reasons I don't think they're going to lead the charge on marriage. Some some are, but one, they're very busy. Two, they're probably not sure what to do. This is kind of this major issue, and I'm already too busy, and I'm not sure what to do. And I think the third for many is controversy, that if I get into marriage, it's going to raise the issue of divorce and cohabitation and even gay marriage, and that's like controversial issues, and my budget's tight. Uh, we just why don't we not bring it up? Mm-hmm. And I think for some pastors and pastors have told me this is many pastors, their own marriages are not in the best shape. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, well, should I really bring up, can I really bring up and talk about the glories of marriage when I'm in my own situation? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, they're under incredible stress and attack today too. So, so I think there's just a number of reasons. So that churches. So my vision is, is to identify marriage champions in churches and in the culture and to bring them together and work together to strengthen marriages in our churches. Mm-hmm. A couple of listeners have already chimed in. Uh, please comment on the ass- on the assumption, or so it seems, that romance is a universal requisite in a marriage, and can a marriage survive without it? Oh, I, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, it's 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 an important element, and I think we can 
probably go to either extreme of saying it's the, the, the all and be all of marriage, but or saying it's really not that important. We can get by without it. But yeah, I think there needs to be that connection. You know, the marriage, I think there's two images of marriage and why it's important is one, it's a reflection of the image of God. And that's why I, I've been saying that one of the most powerful tools for, I think, for evangelism is a marriage, a healthy marriage, because it it's the most tangible expression of the Godhead, a man and woman. And so you think about our relationship with Christ, there's a, a deep bonding that goes on there and a passion that we have for the Lord. And, you know, the same thing should be evident in our marriage relationships. Mm-hmm. Another comment, uh, my wingman Terry said, uh, I recently read in a news article that a large percentage of people today are getting married and foregoing a religious church wedding, although and using a legal ceremony instead. Seems like that's the trend. There's, Yeah, and I think that's probably indicative of our post-Christian society. I mean, yeah. fewer and fewer people. They have uh, no church affiliation. Do yeah, they? I mean, they're the most recent polls out saying that... Uh, the number of people identifying them, self-identifying as Christian has dropped 10% over the last 10 years. So, mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about uh, what couples can do, I mean, just to get their strength back into their marriage. Well, I, I think there's a number of things. Uh, one is developing habits or practices in one's marriage. Um, you know, there's a lot of six-week or eight-week courses out there, and you can go through this, and I think those are important and helpful but I think also couples need to learn to kind of develop habits or practices like, um, you know, praying together. You know, that's a real challenge sometimes. You're busy, and if your relationship isn't in sync, you probably the last thing you want to do is be praying together. But I think praying together, being, you know, the scriptures, um, date time, spending times together as a couple. Um, I think, you know, eating together. Those sorts of things mm-hmm. are, I think, are, are really important to develop habits, rhythms in one's life, and because it's easy to get on, get busy, and get moving away, and you don't give that attention. So I think, just from a practical standpoint, those are some things. Mm-hmm. And doesn't everybody come into a marriage relationship just based on what they observed in their upbringing? Yeah, that's. They say that, uh, and I think it's true that when you marry somebody, you not only marry the person, but you're marrying their family. Mm-hmm. And there again, yeah, if if you've got some bad habits that were present in your family, you know, that's well, how just, you react. Yeah. Simple things like, you know, what I learned in anthropology is, you know, if you've got certain activities that go on in one tribe <laughs> and then they try to mix another tribe with them, everyone's got their own way of doing things and you have to figure out yeah. how to find common ground, how to get along and how to say, no, this is, this is good. We'll do this for Christmas and then we'll do this for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I, I think, to be able to explore some of those things before you get married, and a lot of people maybe don't think about that. You know, you you are kind of driven by the emotion of the relationship that you're not really sitting down and well, maybe walking through some of those issues, kind of a courtship idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those that, those things would be helpful, but obviously still, even however much you prepare, you're going to run into new things. Yeah. And it's int- I like somebody who said, you know, you're, the, mar- the person I'm married to today is not the person I was married to last year because we are both constantly changing. So the, that relationship, we have to keep working at the relationship. And some people, I, I like this description, you have to fight for your marriage sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, especially when things don't go the way you'd like them to. You say, okay, we're going to fight for this together. Yeah. I, I love that quote by Lewis Smeads, the pastor, who said, my wife has been married to five different men, all of them me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I yeah. I'll use that now. Yeah, that's a great, great line. So 
tell us more about uh, Forever Adventure, and uh, is this going to ministry happen in churches, and how would I learn more about that? And Yeah, my vision, uh, my, my desire is to help maybe in some small way help spark a marriage movement in Minnesota and beyond. And, I like that you're thinking big. Yeah, and I say, well, how do you start a movement? Well, you start with individuals who are passionate about it, and so marriage champions. And mm-hmm. I describe, I define a marriage champion as someone who's passionate about their own marriage, but also helping other marriages. Mm-hmm. And um, when I look at what's going on uh, and thought, where, where do I fit in is I think, and what I've been doing is I bring together marriage champions in what I call marriage roundtables. These marriage champions are from different churches. So I may have six to eight different churches represented in a marriage roundtable. And they come together and they basically share what they're doing in terms of implementing best marriage practices in their church, which, which would be small groups, mentoring, premarital date nights, et cetera. And so they come together and they share questions, challenges, or concerns they're mm-hmm. having. And so they get feedback from the group. And I've been started about five groups now in the Twin Cities. And they've gone really well. Uh, you know, I've just had one at Wooddale. And, you know, somebody has been involved for a number of them said, boy, I just got so much out of this because they're getting the kind of the collective wisdom and encouragement. Because, you know, when you're working to do something like this, it can be kind of discouraging when you see all the problems and, and the lack of maybe resources or whatever. So the groups are that. And so my vision is to expand the number of these roundtables so mm-hmm. that um, these champions come together. And then secondly, I want to engage young people, in particular Christian young couples, through social media. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, there's going to be a lot of listeners that are going to feel very disconnected right now. You're talking about people who can be a champion of marriage, and they're sitting there going, boy, I don't even know if we're going to make it next month. Yeah. Well, you've got to, before you can be a champion uh, for somebody else, you've got to have you work on your own marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can't give away what you don't have. So mm-hmm. I, that's the first priority is. And even when you do start working with other couples, you've got to keep your own marriage center in terms of ministering out of that. So I think you just, you know, you need to go to folks at your pastor in your church or other yeah. places and just say, hey, we're really struggling and we'd like some yeah. help. And So you know. so if I'm part of the, you know, the, the leadership or the lady at, in a church and I'm hearing this thinking, you know what, that's not a half bad idea try to get some of these roundtable discussions with some other uh, mature Christian married couples, and I wanted to talk to you about it, what would I do? Uh, they could call me or they could email me. Uh, my email is tom at foreveradventure.com, tom uh-huh. at foreveradventure.com, or they can call me on my phone at 612-600-3136. And so, yeah, I guess I'd encourage somebody who has a passion for marriage or feels a, maybe a sense of calling. Maybe yeah. maybe they're not too excited, but maybe God's tugging on their heart yeah. to say, what can I do to help strengthen marriages in my church? I'd be glad to work with yeah. you. Thanks, Tom. Great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for having Tom me. Tom Pritchard's been my guest, and he's got a marriage initiative called Forever Adventure. Important that we pay attention to uh, how marriage today is taking a beating in the media and the culture, and we're trying to uh, give it the importance and the view that God has for it and to be an inspiration to other people who have got struggles. We can come alongside and give them the encouragement. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back.
I'm awfully glad to be inviting back into the studio Pastor Sean Winters. He's a senior pastor at Calvary Church in Roseville and White Bear Lake, two campuses. And it's always a delight to have uh, Sean in studio talking, teaching, and just being my friend. Sean, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're going to chew on a big topic today, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to try and tackle this. Yeah, I'm going to make this all all your fault. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, we're going to tackle that issue of predestination and free will. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just a simple one that uh, we'll quickly resolve here in 29 and a half minutes. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This has been debated throughout all of church history from the beginning of time. And I, I know that, you know, thoughtful Christians dig into God's Word and they do their own research and study and leading from the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And yet the camp is divided, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, I love that. I love that people want to know what the Word of God says, and they're doing their work. And so what I really want to encourage our listeners to do is say, okay, as we look at Scripture, let's look at it, let's deal with what the text says, and then let's say, what does that mean? You know, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to who God is? And where are we in that that whole picture? Okay, let's get out shovels and start digging. All right. Um, to, to start into the topic, I want to kind of touch on two things. One is where do we experience um, future? How do we look at the world around us? And then how does God see it scripturally? And when you think about you and I, our knowledge of the future, that we have a limited, we don't know what's going to take place. So if you imagine we're sitting in a ball game, you and I are sitting there, bottom of the ninth, two outs, home game, so our team's up. Yep. Um, it's a 3-2 count, and and we're down by, or it's a, let's say a tie score. Okay, so okay. our guy's there. And and I'm like, I don't know what can happen. You know, he can hit into, uh, you know, line drive. He can he can hit out. He can strike out. But you say, no, he's going to hit a home run. Sean, I say home run. You say home run. I it's going to be home run. Say, he's going to win the game. Happen. He's going to win the game right now. <laughs> I said, I don't I'm know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, so the next pitch comes, and he hits it. He goes, home run. He goes deep. Thank it's you. A home I was run. right. So the whole place is cheering. The whole place is going crazy. And Bill's over there yelling, I called it. Yeah. I called yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, I'm high-fiving you, and you're more interested in the fact that you called it oh, yeah. rather than the fact we just won the game. Yeah. Um, and, and I look at you because I think, okay, theologically, what's he saying here? And, and I say, what, what did you call? You say, I knew he could do it or I knew he would do it. Big difference. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, if he could, yeah, absolutely. That that player has hit home runs before. Yes. This pitcher is tired. I, that was a lousy pitch. Yeah. He could, but if you say that you knew he would, then then we'd have to debate it. Then there would be a different story. That's right, because I'm cheering don't him know. on knowing yeah. he could. He could. Yes. So we look look at life, and we say, hey, this could happen, right? We watch the weather forecast, <laughs> and they say, hey, this is what is going to happen tomorrow, but we know. It could happen tomorrow. Minnesota. There, all the signs point towards it. The potential is there, and we're constantly surprised. Yes. At the same time, the Bible tells us that God knows. God has this understanding. So my wife and I have this uh, sign in our house about marriage, and it says marriage is the ultimate act of faith. We take the hand of another person, and we walk into an unknown future with courage and, um, and determination which is a really cool thought. And we add to it. We edit that. We say, you know, it's, it's not just you and I, Becky. It is you and I and God, and God knows and we don't. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's an ultimate act of, of faith to walk into an unknown future. So then I ask that question, okay, if I say, hey, I don't know, but God does, is that true and is that biblical? Or is it, is it just helpful because I want it to be true? Um, 
you know, we can deceive ourselves. We can say, you know, it'd be great if God knew, or is it really true? And so I want to just read a couple things from the Old Testament that we often go to, and then let's investigate it, and then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. So first of all, a familiar one may be uh, Psalm 139. It says this, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written into your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? So it's this great statement by David, poetically. He's talking about a child who is not yet born. He says, hey, God can see that. God sees us in that place. But also, he's ordained every day for us before a single one of them came to be. Where does David get that idea? Where does that thought come from? Um, It's something that David's talked about before. Well, I look back, I say, you know, one of the mentors in David's life was Samuel. Samuel in 1 Samuel 2, 3 um, is talking through a personal confrontation, and he says this. He said, don't keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Just this great statement. I, I just love that. God is a God who knows. So scripture is telling us that God somehow sees our days. God is a God who knows. Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you. And we often repeat John, uh, Jeremiah 29. And, and so we get this idea that God knows. We don't, but God does. And then we get to this passage um, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. And, and as we were talking just earlier, we want to look at the text, say, what does the text say? What's he about there? And then how does it apply to our life? So it's a it's one of those predestination passages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those one of those that we go to and we say, well, this is what God said. Let me just read it, and then maybe you and I can wrestle over it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 11, it says this, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it says, in him we are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, in accordance to the conformity and the purpose of his will. With just this strong sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And Paul paints this picture that predestined, there's some choice in the past. But wow, what is our experience? Yeah, you know, we hear that, we read that, um, that God chose us, God predestined us in some way. You know, John Stott, it's clear what God is, what, what Paul's trying to say here. He's like the strong sense that. God is the decider, and he's not surprised by. Um, but there's a sense that we go through experience. like right? It's kind of a cognitive dissonance because we go through life. We say, man, I, you, you know, you chose whether to invite me to come on the radio today, and, and we'll see if you choose that again. <laughs> um, I chose the route that I took, you know, which road I took to get over here today. Um, and so we experience life as choices, but then we read in Scripture and we understand that God knows. So how do we, how do we put those two things together? It is a challenge, I think, for us as we approach a text like this. Okay, a, a Reverend John Stott quote, which I love, holiness is not a condition into which we drift. Hmm. Isn't that nice? 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm, my Bible study is in Titus, because Titus chapter 1 says, Paul, the servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect yeah. and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Yeah. Yikes. Now, if our names are written in the book of life before the foundations of the world were laid, that would say to me that God has uh, an elect group. Yeah. Well, verse verse 5 in Ephesians uh, 1, five says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, you know, and then verse 4, it says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Mm-hmm. So, so there's all kinds of passages that talk about a sovereign God who has made choices on our behalf uh, for our good and his glory. And we hold that in high esteem. That's what Scripture says. So if God gets to choose who he has in his home, which yeah. is heaven, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, of course, raises the question that a lot of people say, are you saying then that God created people only to send them to hell? And, of course, that gets to be difficult waters to yeah. navigate through. Well, I remember I probably won't get this quote exactly right, but C.S. Lewis wrote one time about this, and he said that, um, that God will say to every person on earth what you will or what you want mm-hmm. so that someone who comes to faith in Christ says, Lord, I want to come to faith in Christ, and he gives us what we want, and someone who hears the offerings of the gospel and continues to reject and continues to reject and God continues to reach out and continues to, and someone says, no, thank you. And then he also responds to that person, you know, what you will. You get what you, what you want. And so, yeah, I think that we see in reality that there are people who reject God. Um, and, and God created all of us, and God forced, uh, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that all might come to faith, but that God made choices, and choices depending upon his foreknowledge. He understands how people respond to him. Mm-hmm. But, but what we experience in life is that you know, we are also called to make decisions. I mean, this passage, verse 11 says that we're predestined. Verse 13 says, you all heard the gospel and you responded in, in belief. And one of the things I think we hold highly is God's sovereignty, God's choice, God's election but that we all, on our behalf, then we respond, and that we are responsible for the choices we make in terms of how we live for God. Um, I heard an illustration um, a number of years ago, and, and uh, it's kind of fun. I, I like doing premarital counseling, and I like uh, talking with couples about how would you meet, how would you fall in love. Um, and, and then I like to ask them, how did you know? How did you know that this was the person for you? And... Uh, I'm going to just kind of mush together a couple stories so there's no actual you know, stories that I'm revealing here without permission. But let's just imagine that some guy walks into a church in small town Wisconsin, and he looks across the room, and somehow music is playing, and the lights are low, and you know, there's a spotlight on this girl across the room. He's like, wow. And in his mind, or maybe to his buddy, he says, I'm going to marry that girl. Yeah, that's that's. They haven't even met yet, right? Yeah, they haven't met yet. Okay. Just just walked in the first time, <laughs> and so three years later, they're sitting down with a pastor, and he says, "How did you know?" And he says, "Well, the first time I walked in church, I saw her across the room, and I knew." Well, you turn to the woman and you say, "Okay, um, you're also here, and you also 
come to the point where you've said, hey, this is, I'm going to marry this guy? When did you know? And her answer is more like, um, you know, he came to our church, and we hung around with the same group for a while, and then we went on a couple activities together, a couple dates. He prayed about it. I prayed about it. We talked to friends. And about six months ago, I decided. And so you ask him, who decided? He's like, you know, three years ago, she's like six months ago. <laughs> I mean, I had to ask you out on a date, man. Um, he's like, well, yeah, okay. So you initiated. So that there's this understanding, this reality that God chose us before the creation of the world. And at some point, he breathed life into us. And we respond and we say, wow, you know, this is the day I accepted Christ. But scripture tells us God chose us, chose us to be holy and blameless. Um, that intentional purpose is for our own redemption, but that we might share that gospel with mm-hmm. others. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenging walk and it's, it's a wonderful blessing to know that God knows. And we need, to, you know, we need to understand that and grab hold of that. And then we also say, but we need to live lives fully devoted to Jesus Christ. I'm with you, Sean. I think it's um, I think it's great. The first Bible verse I ever memorized was First John one nine. If we confess our sins to God, He is faithful. He is faithful and just hmm. to forgive us our sins. If we, He is. Yeah. Those are the two yeah. parts of that verse that I've always sort of thought. If we, He is. So there is a little bit of um, work that we need to do, and I say that with hesitation because it's only God's grace. We are, by which we are saved, but we do come to the realization that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Yeah, and, and Titus says that it, you know, His grace has appeared to us and it teaches us. Yes. Um, it teaches us and it trains us to make wise choices, to make uh, good decisions, to do the if we. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know? All right, Sean, let me take a little break. Sean Winters is my uh, guest, senior pastor at Calvary Church in Roseville and White Bear Lake, Minnesota. We'll take a short break and uh, be right back. Pastor Sean Winters in studio with me. And Sean, I think we've done a nice job of setting the table. Where are we at and how do we move forward in this discussion? As yeah. We, as you we know, talk I, about predestination and freedom of choice. Freedom of choice. Um, you know, I remember years ago, my brother and I used to take these hikes in the Colorado Rockies and we'd be backpacking and running out of breath. And he would say, you know, Sean, you're predestination, I'm free will. And, you know, <laughs> other times he'd say, you're free will, I'm predestination. we just kind of wrangle over it. But I, but I think that we... we um, want to say, hey, we've set the good stage for the sovereignty of God, yep. that God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy, to be his people. Um, and, and and then let's move to this building on that foundation. What are What does it mean to live for God? What does it mean to make wise choices in response to the grace we've experienced in Christ? Awesome. Let's do that. All right. All right. So I think it's in the same passage. I, I like. Um, so if someone's out there and they're digging in Ephesians, we're not going to move to a different passage to solve this part of the conversation. Because in verse 13, um, Paul, who is a Jewish writer writing to a Gentile church in Ephesus, says, hey, this is what, what God is. This is what Christ has done for you. Verse 13, it says, you're included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing. And then he uses two really key words. He says it's guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession. Inheritance and possession are Old Testament words that Paul intentionally uses that were up to that point only used for the Jewish ethnic group. These are the people of God, the possession, the portion of God. And now he's saying, because you responded, because you believed, you're now included in. So part of God's sovereign plan is the diversity of the body of Christ. And it's saying that we need we have choices there of of followership. We have choices there of of living holy lives for God. The prayer beginning in verse 15, he said, I'm praying for you that you're doing a great job. But you need to keep on going. Um, and then there's this key piece of this that I think applies to us today that he's talking about inclusivity. He's talking about diversity, hot button issues of our day that as believers in Jesus Christ, that was God's plan. And that's God's intentionality that we are saved so that all people, all nations, all ethnos would come to know Jesus Christ. So there's choices that we make and, uh, and the decisions that we make that are really just come right out of this, the graciousness of God's sovereign plan. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I'm looking at verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Just, those are, that's a powerful line. Yeah. When you heard, not if you heard, but when you heard. When you heard. You responded because you are part of God's elect. Yeah. Is, is, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah. So there is this clear sense of choice that sets up that line. Mm-hmm. But he's saying um, there's a point in time where um, Paul pastored this church. So he was there, planted the church on his second missionary journey. He actually stayed on his third missionary journey for three years. So he's in these people's living room. Right? He was he was in their in their lives and he presented the gospel. They heard it. They responded. You know, he founded them in the truth of the gospel. Your response to that gospel has included you in. Mm-hmm. So so he's applauding them, saying, Hey, you're doing a great job. You know, verse fifteen, I love what, what I see. Faith in Jesus Christ, your your relationship with others. I'm gonna keep on praying for you. I'm mm-hmm. thank thanking God for what I've seen in your life already, but man, keep keep on going in that gospel message that you've received. And of course, God wants it that no one would be lost, that yeah. all would come to faith. Yeah. So how do we blend those messages? Yeah. C- can I do a quick story? Oh, please. Yeah, well, okay. I love stories. Okay. So we had, uh, we, we love to take family trips and we, um, we hop in the car. We've done this since our kids were little and we just kind of head out. So we went to the East Coast this summer um, went up into Maine. We drove across into Canada to the Bay of Fundy, which is between Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. And the reason that we had a destination of the Bay of Fundy is because the tides in the Bay of Fundy are some of the greatest in the world. The day we were there, high tide to low tide difference was 32 feet. Oh, So we were there at high tide, and you could see these cool sea caves kind of like on the north shore of, of <laughs> Minnesota. And, yeah. you know, you could kayak. There were some canoers that went out there. Came back five hours later. And the, the water was out like a half mile, and the sea caves were accessible by foot. Wow. So we went back in these caves. We walked up in this little, um, th- this little canyon. It's like a box canyon kind of out in the ocean during high tide, but it's accessible by foot. 
And we're back in the end of this, and we're just nervous Midwesterners. We're like, when's that, you know, when's the high tide going to come in? Is it going to come in in two minutes or we're stuck? So we kind of kept looking over our shoulders. Get back up in the front end of this box canyon, and there's a rope up one of the sides. And I thought, you know, at some point, somebody got stuck. <laughs> they fell asleep <laughs> yeah. on the beach, and the, and, the, and the water came in. And, and I'm looking around at the people that are back up in this, and I'm thinking, there's not, every, not everybody can climb that rope. Right. If the water comes in, we're going to elect someone to climb the rope. We're going to choose someone to climb the rope. And the purpose for them climbing the rope is not so that they have a, a full and fruitful life for themselves and the rest of us drown. The point of having someone elected to climb the rope is to go get help so the rest of us will be saved. Mm-hmm. So this author wrote this. He said this. Um, God's choice isn't just for that individual benefit and salvation. The purpose is that we become agents of blessings to other. I just love that. The purpose of God's election, the, the sovereignty of God, isn't just so that we can be happy and whole. It's that we might come back and, and offer that same blessing, that salvation message to other people. That but, trip sounds like fundy to me. <laughs> but here's, here's the challenge. And, um, you know, um, family systems can can kind of be closed. Church systems can kind of be closed. We as, as church folks, we can gather around and say, wow, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in his sovereign choice and he's elect those who he elects. And, you know, there's some he doesn't elect. And, well, that was a good Bible study. Amen. Let's go home. And we, we can keep that system closed. But God says, no, let's keep that system open. This is a great truth. It's a great gospel. But let's be open. Let's reach out to others. Let's um, take the blessing we've received and be a blessing in our communities. Let's be a blessing in our workplaces that we are called not just to receive, but called to be a pass-through of that blessing. And that's a choice. Mm-hmm. That's a choice we all have to make. And, and God's never surprised by so- somebody choosing to become a believer. God doesn't ever look down on somebody and say, whoa, 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 I never saw, I never saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, he knows who's going to be responding positively. Absolutely. And because yep. they're part of his elect. Yep. So I don't know where I was but, going with that but, point, But he Sean. also is not surprised by um, the things that happen in your life or my life. Right. And that is, um, that's reassuring to us. Like, hey, I didn't, you know, this thing surprised me, but it didn't surprise God. Right. That's true. We, we've used this line a couple times in, uh, in recent days that, you know, every day, um, you know, God knew every day before one of them came to be. David wrote in Psalm 139, um, you, you lose someone who's close to you and you go, well, you know, that their time was sovereignly chosen by God. He wasn't surprised by that. He wasn't surprised by the grief we're experiencing. Um, he's not surprised by the, the challenge that it's left in our life. And so there's this, there's a sense that God is sovereign that gives us reassurance, that God knows gives us reassurance, but it also draws us closer to God. Because we say, hey, if he's not surprised by it, then he's got a resolution, right? God works for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. And, and it causes us to kind of lean into God in, in deeper and more profound ways. It's a very comforting passage in Psalm 139. I, I, I love that truth because, you know, people will say, so-and-so, he died way too young. And I go, yeah, of course he died way too young for us, but yeah. not for God. Because that point, that time was appointed prior to him heaving him or her even having their first breath. Yeah. As difficult as that is for some to embrace. Yeah, it is. And, and, and we grieve 
um, not like the world because we have hope, but we do grieve, right? Like like that is, oh, yeah. A, yeah, someone dies young, and we're just like, I don't get it, and I miss them, or Lord, I'm leaning into you and trusting you for it, but but God knew. Yep. And then, Sean, of course, we know John 1, 12, um, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, amen. Amen to that. Yeah. I think that's about wraps up our time. Um, this is uh, always great to chew on and it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's the deep end of the pool for many to try to go into God's word and figure out exactly what it says. And yeah. you've done a great job helping us uh, move the needle once Thank again. You. Thanks, John. Awesome Sean, Pastor, uh, Sean Winter has been uh, my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Thanks for spending time with me this afternoon. I hope your drive home is uh, good, and I hope you have a nice night tonight. Thank you for uh, supporting Faith Radio and and, uh, just being so wonderful. God bless everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.